It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 136. Everything in this world is magic, except for the magician. It is three minutes past twelve on Thursday, the 28th of March, 2019. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, Tom runs into some scammers who are trying to steal money from him. Uh, Coral up to their usual tricks, palping bets. Uh, we look at a horse race from Saturday, the Newbury 240 Big William Hill race. World Golf Championships have started in Austin, Texas. So we look at the match play over there after the break. We look at some um, advantage play tricks in slots. Slots that are available over in the UK. We're not just talking about brick and mortar casinos over in America. We also discuss um, everybody's favourite subject, tax. If you're a winning gambler in the UK, do you owe the taxman any money? All that and more coming up tonight on the Bashcast. So, I was going to talk about this last week, I just didn't have time, it was a two-hour bashcast the last couple of weeks anyway, so I didn't have time, but I have been the victim of some fraudsters. So I went skiing, uh, was it two or three weeks ago I was skiing? And on the Sunday, we had quite a fun day skiing on the Sunday. It was like a top gear race between two teams uh, from Avoriaz in France to Morgan in Switzerland. It's 28 kilometers. One team goes one way. The other team goes another way. You meet up at the end in the bar, but you don't know if the other team's going to be in the bar kind of thing. On the very same day, I was in Switzerland. An unknown person logged on to farfetch.com. I hadn't heard of farfetch.com, but looking at it now, farfetch.com seems to be an online designer clothes store. Clothes for women, men, and children. Um, based in the United Kingdom, apparently. So somebody went on there, and using my card for my bank my visa card my visa debit card associated with my gambling account they ordered 667 pounds worth of on the same day um the thai garden restaurant in kettering um my debit card was used to order 89 pounds worth of thai food from from this restaurant um now 
I like Thai as much as the next man, and heaven knows I am a dedicated follower of the fashion. Um, bags, clothing, jackets, shoes, sweaters, knitwear, shirts, t-shirts and vests, and trainers all are of interest to me. But on this particular day, I was sliding my ass down a red run, desperately trying to beat my other pals in a snowboarding race in a completely frivolous waste of time of anyone's afternoon. And I wasn't ordering clothes online or Thai restaurant food. Unbelievable. By the way, I live out in the middle of the countryside. Literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a village in Worcestershire. And at the front of the house, there's just fields and a canal. At the back of the house, it's sort of the same thing. No one... It's really rural. There's a hedge trimmer who's come to decide that he's going to... At 10 minutes past 12 on a Thursday afternoon when I'm recording the bash cast, he's just going to trim the hedge. There's no one around for miles other than someone directly outside of my window with a hedge trimmer trimming the hedge and ruining my audio quality. Anyway. So I got back on the Monday and I logged online and here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear, because I'm really bad at reconciling all of my accounts. A lot of, I think, sort of advantage players are because you have so many transactions going left, right and seven. It's just, an, you know, to, it would take too much out of your day to individually go through every one. And one of my biggest fears is that if someone just puts through transactions as like, you know, £50 to onlinegambling.com, it may slip through the net. A word to any fraudsters out there, just by the way, now it's not going to. That's why I'm happy saying this. But if you go onto that account and order from a clothes store or a Thai restaurant, I am going to notice it immediately. Because it's a gambling account. It's solely for gambling. If I want to order clothes or uh, for a Thai restaurant, I'll probably use my credit card. I'll use my MasterCard. Um, just everything gets... That's how I segregate things. It's always a good idea to have your gambling account completely separate. Don't Certainly don't mix it up with your electricity bills and your weekly Tesco shopping. For a variety of reasons that aren't important now. So I looked online and my, my heart sank. Someone's got my card. How did they get my card? Because I get this card sent through to me and then I lock it in my safe and no one, it never leaves the house. It never goes to the petrol station where it could be cloned. I did have a debit card cloned at a petrol station once. And so I was very careful after that that I'm only using sort of Apple Watch and things to pay for the, uh, to pay for goods. But my gambling card, it just gets locked in the safe. So where does it go? Well, online know your customer regulations. They demand that you send in your bank card. And um, I have had two instances where I've sent the bank card in where I've obscured the numbers on the front and the back. And the reply has been, we need to see unedited bank statements and we need to see unedited um, versions of the card. <coughs> Jeff Banks, I'm not naming any names. I'm not saying it's you, Jeff. 
I'm not saying it's you, Jeff. I'm just saying there are bookmakers casinos out there who they just decide that they want to receive the full unedited um, copy of the card or the bank statement. And I complained to the Gambling Commission about Jeff. Again, I'm not picking on Jeff. I'm not saying it was Jeff that ripped me off at the Farfetch online um, clothes store. Uh, for legal reasons, I am definitely not saying that. What I am saying is that he asked for unedited copies of my bank statement and the card, and he's not the only person to have done this. So you send it in with the CSC number blocked and the card numbers blocked, and they say, well, you're not getting your money until we receive the whole thing, which is entirely open to fraud. I complained to the Gambling Commission about this, and the gambling, the completely toothless Gambling Commission, who are funded by the bookmakers, came back and just said that they can ask for anything that they want whatsoever, and they can withhold your money for that reason. They could ask for your birth certificate, your a DNA sample, they can ask for anything. This is the Gambling Commission that is funded, interestingly, by the bookmakers. There you go. So I've sent a few people this card, and I, I've never taken it out of the house, and now my card has been cloned. So the only point of failure that I have is that somewhere along the line, some unscrupulous customer service agent, and by the way, these people who are customer service agents, they don't have to go on a course, or they don't have to be protected by some sort of code of conduct. Before I was a full-time stay-at-home dad and advantage player, I was a chartered civil engineer. And as a chartered civil engineer, I have to be held at a particular point of conduct uh, and I have to continually train and retrain in order to maintain my chartered status for people to look at me and to respect me in the, in the position that I was in. So that, you know, I was making decisions that could have some significant impacts and I was held in a position of responsibility. And as a result... Um, I had to train for that. I have to be held accountable by my peers. Who are these people that you're sending your uh, your ID to at casinos? They're not chartered. They're not held up to any sort of standard of responsibility. And they can ask for anything that they want. And as a result, because they are shysters, I've, I've been ripped off. So, um, as pissed off as I was that uh, I was ripped off, I also saw a, a window of opportunity specifically for the bash cast as well. Um, I got Obviously, I got in touch with my bank and I said, these two aren't me. And then I suddenly realized, God, how long has this been going on for? I need to go back through all my statements. I have over a thousand uh, transactions since the beginning of February. Uh, sorry, the beginning of December on my bank statement. And I've got to go through every single one. And annoyingly, companies use really stupid names um, on bank statements that don't tie up. So you'd think the Betfred would just be Betfred, but no, it could be Petfrey, P-E-T-F-R-E. I think some of these are to do with um, it sort of enhances the ability for a successful um, transaction through the payment processor and for it not to be stopped. But um, uh, it's not only pet fray, but they have a number of other names as well. Uh, Wicked jackpots go by um, cassava. They go by UK regulated LIM. Presumably that's the beginning of a limited company. And they go by a couple more. And that's all the same 
casino that I'm depositing in and I've got to sort of figure out who everybody is and cross-reference everything. And to begin with, I thought I was being ripped off for thousands, but I did actually manage to tie everything up at least since the beginning of December. And I've changed the way that I work now where I'm now writing down every transaction that I make and um, every week I'm just going to go through, cross-reference those transactions against, um, against my bank balance. Mainly because I added everything up I haven't added anything up for a while, but I have a rough idea of how much I should have. And when I added everything up, I was 10 grand short. So I thought I had X amount and I added everything up and I don't have um, 10 grand under what I thought I had, which really annoyed me. So am I I being scammed and I can't see it? These scammers, I don't know how they uh, sleep at night. That's how you you live your life, is it? You're going to live your life by getting the credit card details of other people and then scamming um, and going to bed thinking that that's how you're going to spend your entire life on earth. That's it, is it? I couldn't do it. Most people couldn't do it. But how do they sleep? I bet they sleep fine, to tell you the truth, because they're that sort of, they're that pathetic. They've got nothing going on. They, they, they're, they have... They haven't been successful enough to con- to contribute to society, like a doctor or a, or a lawyer. They don't have it in them to be charitable or helpful, and they can't even find it within them to do something decent and non-illegal. They've just got to scam people and scam. And they, I'm sure they just see it as big companies. But you know what? I'm not a big company. I am not a big company. I'm a one-man band. If you tie. Duncan and Leon to me. I'm maybe a two and a half person da- band. Sorry, Duncan. And so I'm I'm just like a stay-at-home dad is who I am. And I am the person that you've scammed. I, yes, the bank did give me the money back immediately. But uh, I know that they're not going to do much after that. They have loads of these different um, transactions um, and fraudulent cases going on. So the bank cancelled my card, which is a real pain because everything that my card is associated with, I've just then got to go and sort of re-upload my card. And also my change of practices where I was just too trusting and not changing my statement has to change as well. So there's a tangible effect this has had on me, but a financial one, well, once I went through and checked all my all my um, transactions were actually me, then it was just those two for Farfetch and for the Thai Garden. And then... A couple of weeks later, so this is last week now, I I go to log on to the banking app on my phone and it is uh, frozen and I'm locked out and I've got a text message saying that I have to immediately phone the bank. So I phone the bank and they tell me that 24 hours earlier or the day before, Somebody had phoned the bank pretending to be me to try and get some money transferred out of there. Ah, come on. So this is now like a sustained. This isn't just a one-off. They've they've gone in. They've ordered the clothes from Farfetch and the Thai Garden in Kettering. And um, um, I've cancelled my card and now... They realise that the card is cancelled, so they are trying some different avenues of attack, which is just unbelievable. I mean, 95% of the money I have in the world, I keep in a different place. There's no point in going into too much detail where it is, but it's uh, not accessible um, with 
uh, from a bank account or a debit card or anything like that. So from my gambling account, I just keep the minimum amount I need for life not to be um, not to be awkward or difficult. But just stop trying to take my money, whoever you are. It's just unbelievable. So the bank had to do like enhanced security where I had to answer some um, some questions from that like ordinary people wouldn't know. In fact, some of the questions was quite difficult for me to know, but I sort of realized I had to remember them and get the answers to these um, in order to actually talk to the bank. And they've, so now a second card in two weeks has been canceled and a third card has been ca- uh, sent to me, which by the way, I said it was a pain. I had to go through all my online bookmakers and everything else and things I've got subscriptions to for gambling and stuff like that and update the card. Well, now I've just got to do it all again. Um, and I had to, I've had to change all my passwords and I've had to set up enhanced security with phone verification and things like that. It's all because people are really desperately trying to rip me off. So now I'm thinking, who the hell are these people? Because I don't trust the bank to do much. So I thought, well, okay, what do I know about them? I know that they ordered clothes from Farfetch. That was the big sum. That was the £700. And I know they ordered £90 worth of food from the Thai Garden um, restaurant in Kettering. The second seemed so weird because with the clothes, what can happen is you can have, you know, high value items sent to you and then you can sell them on and hey, presto profit. What are you going to do with um, with a Sunday evening Thai food? unless that that was just a test, but quite a test at 90 quid. Well, if you've ordered 90 pounds worth of Thai food from a Thai garden restaurant in Kettering, does that mean that you live close to Kettering? I'm not a million miles from Kettering myself, although I've never been to Kettering myself. It's not like I went there with a card and it got cloned or I dropped it or whatever. Uh, I don't know anybody in Kettering. Um, That was one thing, weird thing that the bank asked me to do. They had the phone number the 07 mobile of the person that had phoned up the bank to um, pretend to be me and to try and transfer money out of my account. And so they asked me to type this number into my mobile to see if I knew them. I was like, I bloody well hope that I don't know the person that's scamming me, I'll tell you that. Anyway, I didn't have that person's phone number. It'll have been a throwaway sim, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, but Kettering, I mean, it's... It, if, it, if this was Eastern Europe, it's slightly harder for me to do some investigation work. But if I have to go to Kettering, I can go to Kettering. So I thought, I'll phone up Farfetch and um, I'll see how far I can get with finding out details of the transactions. Because Farfetch will have had my credit card details logged with them a couple of weeks ago. And they'll have an address where they had to send the £677 of quality fashion wear. So can I find out anything about that order? What was ordered? Um, what address was used? So I phoned up and said, my card was used. Can you give me any details? And they were just out and out. No, no, legally, we can only talk to the police. So I'm like, come on. It's like, these are the, just... It was my card. I just want to know the address of the person. I understand that the address that it was sent to isn't necessarily going to be the address of the scammers. They could be using a go-between. The, the person that lives there could have no idea that a package is coming, etc., etc., etc. It could be someone that lives in a house where the scammers happen to know that they're at work, so they get clothes sent there at 10 o'clock in the morning. The package is left on the doorstep or in the bins, and then the scammers go and get the goods from there, that kind of thing, right? 
Um, but at least it's another step along in my in an investigation, which I don't think anyone's doing. Unfortunately, they gave me nothing. They couldn't tell me what was ordered. Was it um, baby clothes? Was it uh, where it was going to? They couldn't give me anything. They were really unhelpful, and I was annoyed with that. And I thought, maybe I shouldn't have gone in all guns blazing and said that it was because my um, card was stolen. Maybe I should have pretended to have been the scammers looking to, you know, say my shopping's gone missing or something like that. Anyway, now they know that it's me, I've sort of closed that avenue. But you know what avenue I haven't closed? I haven't closed the Thai Garden. So let's just um, have a Google of the Thai Garden in Kettering. I can't actually remember where I got the information it was Kettering for, from. Maybe it was... Maybe it was from the bank. The Thai Garden Cuisine. Looks very nice. Some dim sum up here. Whatever, whatever. It's a takeaway. Contact. They are open 12 noon to 2 p.m., 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. Let's give them a ring. What am I going to say? I am going to say... Well, here's the problem. I can't exactly phone up and say, my card was used a couple of weeks ago. Can you send more Chinese food to that restaurant, uh, to that address, sorry, because um, they're not going to have made a record of the card number and be able to look up the address. I mean, Farfetch might have been able to do that, but the Chinese restaurant won't. So let's just phone them up and see what they say. If I ask, can they give me the address? Can, can they give me a call back maybe or just find out the address that my card was used at? We will see. Okay. 015. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Hi, how are you doing? Um, um, unfortunately, I, I found out last week that um, my credit card had been um, used with you, um, uh, like by fraudsters, by scammers. Um, now, I phoned the bank and I've had that credit card cancelled and, and they've refunded the money. So it's all good there. Um, I was just wondering at all um, if you were in a position to be able to help me out. If I could give you my name and my credit card detail and you were able to tell me the address from which you delivered food to, to these scammers, so I can do a bit of investigation work. Oh, I just a minute. I passed the phone to, them, to, to, to my manager, yeah? Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. 
Oh, good man. Um, yeah, so I found out last week that my credit card had been sort of uh, ripped off and um, had been used to pay for some food with you. Now, I phoned the bank and uh, they've refunded my money. So that's all good on that side of things. And I've had my card cancelled. But I know that they're not going to do any further investigation work. I was just wondering if I could give you the date and my credit card number and my name um, if you would have a record of um, the address which you delivered some food to, so I could do some, you know, further investigation work and see if I can actually find these scammers that were ripping me off. Uh, so, so, okay, say again, I'm not, I'm not quite with you then. So what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give you my name and my credit card, which is now cancelled, um, uh, and uh, see if you could tell me, the. do you keep records of the addresses that you send uh, food no, to? No, we don't right so if i said to you on the 3rd of um march my credit card was used to buy 89 pounds worth of food you wouldn't be able right. to look up the address for which you uh, sent food I to on that day i couldn't look at the address because we don't keep the address on in, in the restaurant here and we only got the i uh, only keep the copy of the receipt you had paid for right okay so we had no 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 record for anything there and that and that copy that doesn't have the address it associated the, with it. That doesn't have the address or the. Uh, it's only got the um, the uh, the full. Uh, let me just check the uh, what they got here. Um, would, would it have a phone number or anything with no, it? No, wouldn't, wouldn't be got a phone number at all. Okay. Uh, the address we got here. I mean the uh, the detail on the credit card here. Yeah. What we got here, there will be uh, no. They won't be got the only. Uh, they won't. They won't got a full um, full number on the on the car. Only got the four last number on the car only. Right. So just the four last numbers of the card. The four last last number on the card. That's all the information we got here. And, and right. the total. But uh, they won't. They won't show me the name or address or or the or your security number. Okay. They, they, yeah. they get lost into time. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we don't got it. We got one one the transaction gone full, that's gone yeah. full, yeah. and uh, there's no record can show anybody there. Even some people they they uh they they uh they found the copy or the merchant copy. Yeah. They won't. They can't get any any detail from you. I mean, uh, only got four last number on the uh, on the car, so nothing else. Just so, basically, if you looked in your records, you would just see the last four digits of the card, the amount of money, and maybe yeah, the date, it. but you wouldn't yeah. know name, address, telephone number, anything like no, that. No, nothing at all in, no. my, in my record, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, anyway, appreciate your time. Okay, you're welcome, sir. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting, really. Uh, well, I was, I was maybe hoping that the guy was like, yeah, 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 we keep all addresses and telephone numbers and everything like that. And if I got lucky, I was going to start hammering these people with scam calls on the Bashcast, see if I could get them on here, maybe pretend to be my bank looking for me to see if they can get more money, and um, um Perhaps even go and pay them a visit. But as it is, it looks like uh, I'm hitting a dead end. If anyone's got any ideas of what I can do in terms of investigatory work, because I'll tell you this, the banks ain't going to do nothing. So if you have got an idea of what I can do next, drop it down on the uh, Bashcat 
thread on the forum. And hopefully this isn't the end of the line. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. On the subject of complete and utter scammers, I had an email from Coral on the 22nd of March, and it says... Dear Tom, I am writing to inform you that we have identified an incorrect settlement within the following bet you have placed with us recently. Um, They give me the receipt number. The market was enhanced multiples at the Valspar Championships, the first round three ball smart boost stake, £25. I remember this bet. Uh, This bet was for Tommy Fleetwood. John Rahm and Sergio Garcia all to win their three balls. It was actually quite a difficult one to work out because whilst Fleetwood and Rahm were priced up on the exchange, for whatever reason, Garcia wasn't priced up on the exchange in his three ball. And neither was he on odds checker. I couldn't quite figure out why. He was definitely in a three ball that afternoon. I didn't know if it was just too minor a three ball and too minor a tournament for anyone to care about it. And you kind of think that... If one odds compiler in a central hub hasn't compiled the odds for it, then then nobody prices it up and puts it up. Um, but I actually found somewhere that I'd priced it up. It, of all places, it was on um, a front of house betting terminal. No, sorry, that, that those are the slot machines. It was in an in shop machine in William Hill. Had priced up that three ball. Now I had a lay price for the first two. I've got to work out a margin, a markup for the in the in shop terminal, and that's going to be big. I applied a one point two markup to that, which is about as much as I'll place to a market. Perhaps novelty bets for like X Factor and things, you might get a slightly higher market, but one hundred twenty percent is about the highest that you should expect. And even with that one hundred twenty percent markup and the two lay prices that I had, this was still fourteen to one to back. And so 15.0 to back and 14.7 to lay. I'll be the first to admit, if you're just looking at a static price there, um, that's not going to make you a millionaire overnight, that kind of bet. Sometimes with these, though, is I have no idea if it was steaming or drifting. I wasn't following it. I did put it up on the tracker as a static bet that didn't change because it, it was uh, I didn't have a price for Garcia, so I couldn't we couldn't track it using a bot. So I just put it up there. I stocked twenty five couldn't it. I closed it down and I forgot about it. Um. So what did Coral have to say? They say they've well. As a result of the incorrect settlement, we have made a correction to your account, which you can see by checking your online statement. Further explanation can be found within the errors or omissions section of our terms and conditions. Please accept our sincere apologies for any inconveniences caused. Should you require any further assistance on this matter, please do not hesitate to contact our customer support team. Do you know what? I am going to hesitate to contact your customer support team. Because they are going to, they're literally going to be of no use if I get in touch and say, why did this happen? They either won't tell me, they'll point me to the terms of the conditions of the palps, or they'll probably, or the biggest danger is that they restrict your account. Because I'm pretty sure that customer service agents are are told, you know what, 
The trading team might miss the odd um, advantage player, but you're the front line, so you look out for X, Y, and Z, and if you see somebody being suspicious, I have seen people get onto live chat to complain about something else, and they end up getting themselves restricted, so I try to use it as infrequently as possible. Why are they palping a 14 to 1 to back and a 14.6 or whatever it was, which would have been a lay with a 120% markup? I mean, this could have been a negative EV bet, Quite easily, if the market was more than 120%, if the margin was more than that. Um, why, what, what is it in the errors or omissions section in the T's and C's that would cover that? Um, the, the fact that the market wasn't on odds checker, wasn't on Betfair, makes me think something funny was going on with Garcia. But I did check the, the completion and they all played, they all did their 18 holes. So I was like, whatever, it's £25. It's one of those things that I could worry about it or I could complain about it or I could chase it up or I could just put it behind me and move on. And, you know, you would hope it was just a one-off at Coral, but it's exactly the kind of thing that they're known for doing over and over again. And lo and behold, on the 28th of March, 2019, today at 10.04pm, I get an email from Coral. Dear Tom. I've since placed two bets with Coral since that pulp. And they say, we are writing to inform you that we have identified an incorrect settlement with the following bet that you have placed with us recently. Receipt number, blah, 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 slightly different one. Market Premier League darts. Raymond van Barnevelt versus Daryl Gurney. Draw no bet. Stake £50. I remember this bet. It was last night in the Premier League darts. I, uh, and when shopping around for a price, this price on the draw no bet market was 2.5 on um, Coral. A back of 2.55 was available on Betfair that I don't have access to. So this was a price that was lower than was on the exchanges. Stake £50. As a result of the incorrect settlement, we have made a correction to your account, which you can see by checking your online statement. Further explanation can be found within the errors or omissions section of our T's and C's. Please accept our sincere apologies for any inconvenience this matter has caused. Should you require any further assistance on this or any other matter, please do not hesitate to contact our customer support team. Come on! What a business this is. This is like the this is even better than the Betbright business model where I could just um open up a bookmaker and then if I don't like uh, my anti-post positions halfway through the season I'm just going to close down the bookmaker or sell it to someone and void all of those bets. But even worse than that, further explanation can be found within the errors or omissions section. Let's go there. I bet it doesn't. I honestly bet further, this, this is, I knew this was going to be a waste of time clicking this link. I haven't done it before now. I'm doing it now. Help.coral.co.uk slash article slash terms dash and dash conditions hashtag error. Takes me to. I mean, I'm not going to contact live chat or live support. Uh... This didn't actually take me to errors on the web page. It's just taking me to the general terms of conditions. Prohibited acts. I've searched for error and 7.1.3 says um, account closures will take place in um, where there's links to terrorist funding. Here we go. Every effort is made to ensure there are no errors. I mean, listen, everyone makes mistakes. 
don't they? Everybody does. Or omissions in respect of the service. The nature of human error or system problems means such circumstances may arise. Um... I'm, I'm, we all make mistakes. If you put up a horse at 9,500 to 1 when you're meant to put it up at 92, or you do a billion to 1 when you're meant to do 10 to 1, then of course I understand there's a palpable error there. What I don't understand is why they're palping errors when either it's a 15 to back, 14.6 to lay, if you could actually figure out a way to benchmark it, which is extremely difficult, or even a bet like last night, where I could have got a higher price somewhere else and they would have paid out on it instead of just voiding it. it seems like a great business model just to void. They could, it feels like they have entire control over voiding anything they want. I'm, at the moment, I don't think that this is... I would like to think that this isn't fraudulent or scammy from Coral. I'd like to think this is shockingly poor business management. But um, what rightful customer would ever bet with a bookmaker when two out of your last three bets in the last week have been palped and voided for no reason whatsoever? Again, I understand people make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, and if you don't make mistakes, you're probably not trying hard enough. But you've got to treat the customer fairly, and in situations like this, I think they should be taking it on the chin. You would expect people like Sky, Betfred, maybe sometimes to take things like this on the chin. I don't even know what error or omission it is that they are referring to. I'm thinking of, I don't know. What can I do about this as well? I was like, can I highlight it on Twitter? The only reason I would highlight it on Twitter and social media would be to shock them into actually sorting it out. But I've done that before in the past. I even made a little, I made a little flowchart, a useful flowchart for um, for bookmakers. There were two flowcharts on here. The first one's the original bet settlement flowchart, which has a hundred different um, yes or no question decision boxes coming off it. Um, and if by the end you get to the last box and you survive as a bookmaker, you may think about paying out the bet. The process I suggested that they could implement is decision. Did the bet win? If it did, pay the customer. If it didn't, you can keep the money as profit. And I tweeted this out as sort of tongue-in-cheek in the hope that perhaps that things would change. Nothing's changed. So, Talking about mistakes. Shit happens, a story. What story said on the forum the other day. Why did story say shit happens? Well, I'm going to try and explain this without sounding like I'm trying to make excuses. I'm going to try and explain this just by giving the facts. Um, Tuesday, two days ago, um, Jen was at CrossFit. So I'm at home with the two small children leading up to bedtime. My baby son, who is seven months old, has gone to bed after an hour's worth of screaming. And, you know, what baby children don't like being tired. He, I, I can hear him crying in the background, actually, if, uh, if the microphone's picking it up. And um, 
my daughter, Sasha, who had been sort of neglected to watch an iPad whilst I was doing my son's bedtime, um, needed some attention. Um, she's three, and so um, I'd finished with him, and then I sat her on my lap in front of the computer, and I saw, I saw Coral, outrageously, Coral again, offering a boost. And this boost was, where is it? On the 7pm at Wolverhampton, the favourite Havana rocket to come either first or second. And the third favourite, Wanasar, to come first or second at 9-2. And you can actually work out the odds of these very close to the off using the reverse forecast market in on Betfair. It doesn't have every combination of horses in there. There were six horses in this race, and so the number of permutations of first and second from six horses is six squared, 36. It doesn't list all 36, because the odds of the two outsiders, who are 16 to 1 and 10 to 1, coming first or second, um, is, you know, extremely unlikely. So it will sort of list the, you know, the favourite and the second favourite, and the favourite and the third favourite, and maybe the second favourite and the third favourite as well. I think that's exactly what it did. Where I went wrong was I just presumed that they had boosted the first favourite and the second favourite. And so when I looked on the reverse forecast, I took the price of the, you know, the shortest price. And, oh, look, that's 4.6. Well, actually, I think it was 5.0 when I looked at it. I immediately thought that's the lay price for what Coral had boosted. They don't actually list the horses, which isn't very convenient. They just list the numbers. And so you've got to go to another page to cross-reference the numbers. Combine this with the fact that I've had an hour of a baby screaming in my ear and now Sasha is on my lap, I just took it as gospel that this is a pretty good bet. And I noticed that it's been a quiet week in the International Friendlies Week. The Bet Alerts thread hadn't had anything posted in it for a couple of days. And I could have put it up on the boost tracker, but it was like for 6.55pm and the race was going at 7. So I thought I'd use the Bet Alerts channel. I posted it up there. Uh, I know a few people got on it. Story got £100 on it. I got £50 on it. Uh, a few other people followed in. And then someone mentioned that this was not a good bet. And they highlighted the market. And I saw that in um, my uh, diverted attention span. I had not noticed that the horses they'd actually boosted were the first favourite and the third favourite. Um the second favourite in this race being Multimus, but it was Havana Rocket, the favourite, and the third favourite, Wanasar, they'd boosted. And this was actually five boosted to 5.5. The real lay was 7. So it was a rubbish bet. Now, what's the good thing and bad thing about uh, advantage play and mugging bets over traditional arbing and match betting? Well, when you're arbing in match betting, you probably wouldn't take a 4.5 to back, 4.4 to lay, because you don't get a lot of profit back from that. But if you're mugging and you can justify it to yourself, you can spread out a load more of these bets. And I think you're beating the EV of basing your expected equity against a static lay if it has steamed in. It also means that you can bet on things that are less than 100% if you think there is reason to do that. And it also means that if now and again you make a mistake, it shouldn't matter 
in the grand scheme of things, if you're placing a thousand bets over a year and five or ten of those are patently wrong and 990 of them are right, at the end of that year, your betting profile will be such that your overall P&L will be relatively the same. In fact, if you're only waiting for the really juicy ones, the person that's a little bit more loosey-goosey is going to be making more money because volume is way more important than accuracy on things like this. Because if you're fastidious about accuracy, then you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. It's a little better to throw hundreds of darts at the dartboard in the knowledge that a couple are going to not just miss the outer rim, but possibly the dartboard in itself, because the majority are going to land inside the dartboard. That's a really rubbish um, um, allegory, isn't it? But you, you get my point, right? I'm not too concerned. And also, I would rather people posted out these things and were wrong than never posted out anything in the... Um, in the first place, it's it's much better to be wrong, to do something and to be wrong and to learn from it, um, than to never do anything. You know what I mean. And so, to that story said, well, shit happens. And then another forum might came in and said, shit happens. Lol, are you calling him shit? Okay, whatever. Banter that people are paying seventy quid a month to get 5.5 slash 7 boosts and in bold letters this is big oh come on I was a little bit taken back by that but okay so instead of publicly calling this guy out I thought I would just um, I would get I would PM him and get in touch and then things kind of de-escalated a little bit further. I explained that for £70 a month, you do get a little bit more than that. You get me populating the tracker. And this argument still stands that we've had before. The trackers are populated by members, aren't they? So you're effectively charging a community for their own value. Which is something that we've had repeatedly over the last couple of months. So on that particular day... I had um, spent, I think, six hours going through the morning boosts of all websites, as I do every single day of the week that I'm around. And that's normally six days a week in the middle of the summer, you know, not. And I don't feel like I have to justify it any more than this. I, it's normally me. And if anyone else sees something, we have the functionality for others to add to the tracker. But moreover, I think now we're at the point where if you don't like the service, you don't need to be here anymore. If you think we're a complete rip-off and we're of no value and we're just ripping you off and ripping off other people, you can just go. You can leave. That's fine. That's absolutely fine by me. In fact, I'd rather the community was a quarter of the size or half the size or whatever with positive people that shared the same sort of perspective and opinion than it was with people that just assumed that we're some sort of faceless identity that are out there to rip people off. I said previously, the amount of money that I've made out of bookie bashing in three years working on this is for the amount of hours I've put in. As a, I know it's a hobby, but rounded up to the nearest pound and expressed as a decimal at zero pounds and zero, zero pence. So that's changed, and I want to be totally open about that in the next year, since I'm 
um, you know, doing this more than 50 hours a week. Salary has been set at £8,620 for the year. So if you think that that is ripping people off or too much, then, and that's all that we're doing, then what I'm happy for is for you to leave. If 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 you get in touch, I will refund the last month's worth of, you know, subscriptions or anything like that um, because you're not happy. And that's fine by me. And then we can sort of leave, and it's mutually beneficial for everybody. But what can no longer happen is this continual sort of, you know, opinion that I am just here, that my integrity is somewhat that of someone that is just, um, you know, posting up 5.5 to back and 7 to lay boosts for £70 a month. I would hope that it was a lot more than that. Now, if you don't want to leave, here's what we've decided that we're going to do. If I had the right page up. Because um, whilst we've been doing this for three and a half years, and literally nobody has been booted off, and very few people have been um, moderated, and nobody has been booted off the site, what I'm no longer going to allow is a sort of continual feedback loop that we're just scamming people. Because I'll, I'll tell you, we get, we, we've had a lot of positive feedback that it's worth the money and people are happy with what they're paying. And we've never asked anyone to pay any more. If you signed up for £10 a month, you're paying £10 a month. If you were paying £25 a month, you're paying £25 a month. You're paying what you initially paid, which you were happy to do when you were signed up. We, none of those goalposts have been moved. But if you just are so unhappy that you feel the need that you uh, to sort of... Basically, call the scammers, which is what this guy is doing, or rip off merchants. Then I'm going to have to put you on the toxic list. And there are four steps of the toxic list. First of all, you get put on the list, and there are two people that are now on this list. Second offence, we have the ability to silence you on Discord, which I have not used yet, but I can mute people. I think the the, the people that design Discord. Um, yeah, they did it for gamers, for teenagers, for tr- and for trolls and for things like that. They can silence them now. Constructively saying that we've done something wrong, absolutely. If I want to hear that kind of feedback, um, talking, uh, disagreeing with me, absolutely fine. Again, I want people to dis- disagree. Um, even getting into heated debate and arguments, you can even sort of, you know, you, you can start slagging each other off or me. Um, uh, as a sort of one-off, as long as it's not completely offensive or done without merit. Okay? But continually just being a pain, just being negative and not being constructive, that is going to be cause of an offence and it's going to result in a week's worth of being muted and also i'll get in touch and explain exactly why or perhaps it'll be jen who is uh, doing the moderating um a third offense silence with a week and a warning that this is now last chance saloon and uh, the fourth offense will then just be termination and a refund of the last month's worth of anything that you've given to us and i think that's fair um uh, 
just because I want what I want to do is I want to progress forward now from some of the bashing that Bucky bashing has had in the last month and a half. And I think we've been fair. Um, uh, I think we've been fair in the way that we've, we're not charging anyone else any additional money. We've been fair in the way that we have essentially closed the doors to any new members by upping the fees. This £70 a month that is quoted, by the way, the reason it is in place is to protect the integrity of the site, to stop us exploding to a 1,000 people with the rate of growth that we had. That was a poss- possibility, and nobody would have been happy with that, let alone myself. So... Please understand the reason the £70 a month is in place is to effectively stop growth. And if you looked at our membership rates, it's exactly what it did. Our membership rates dropped off a cliff to zero as soon as we put them up to 70 Um, But now I think we need to do something to work on a small group of people that seem to not be able to be turned, uh, that seem to sort of be questioning the integrity of what it is that we're doing. I'm still simply a professional advantage player. I'm still a professional advantage player that makes more than 10 times this year out of advantage play that I am going to from any salary from bookie bashing. So, and now that we're not growing, you know, I hope that we're all on board uh, and we don't actually have to use this four tier system for toxic members. Also, it has been very quiet in the last week because it's been International Football Week and there hasn't been a lot to talk about there, especially when it's games like Italy versus Liechtenstein. I said internally to a few pals that I thought Liechtenstein were massively overpriced for that game. They were like 300 on the exchanges. As it transpires, I think the result was 6-0 or 7-0, so maybe they got that right. And then Spain versus Malta. In both of those games, the teams were 1.02 to win. In both of those games, the over 2.5 goals was so low that my daily goals model hadn't ever seen anything that low and it was tripping over on them. I think it was 1.14 for over 2.5 goals. I've never seen anything like that. I didn't have a look up for it. and I was trying to run numbers and I was trying to... So my problem is if it's over... If it's that number for over 2.5, what it tends to be is it tends to be that, you know, it's almost certain that there's going to be one goal or more, you know, for the over 0.5. And that's where the model starts tripping over. So um, what we've done is we've asked Betfair for all lay data for an entire month for every market, for every game. I'm going to try and sort of efficiently make, um, sort of flesh out this goals library that we use for the daily over goals model and we'll see where we get with that um it actually proven to be slightly difficult you wouldn't imagine how big all lay data is for every market for every game from betfair in a calendar month i think it was like 40 gigabytes worth of data we've got to sift through which is always a fun <laughs> i have difficulty enough doing some of these horse racing analyses on um on, you know, on Cheltenham and things like that when I, I used Proform to download the results of every horse race since 2000 without thinking that if you take every horse from every horse race since 2000, that's like 3 million horses. Have you ever tried to put 3 million rows into Excel and then do some sort of interrogation on it? I need so, I need a supercomputer I think I'm going to have to invest in a supercomputer for some number crunching like that. Until then, it's just think a little bit more wisely. 
about the analysis. Now, talking about the horse racing. And I... Big Saturday race was the Newbury 240 uh, on Saturday, where there were 14 runners. William Hill was playing, paying six places on 14 runners. This was very decent. The prices, the fixed odd prices weren't, but the the potential to dutch this at SP was really high. You know, you were one off getting 50% of the field paid. Um, so I went out on Saturday. I wasn't around at the computer very much because uh, Duncan had got the helm. Anytime that I head out for the day to hit some shops, Duncan's at the computer. And if Duncan's not available to be at the computer, I will not head out. I will make sure that I'm manning it. So there's always somebody sort of with an eye out of things going on at Bucky Bashing, especially on a Saturday. We don't just leave the controls unmanned. But I headed out to a few shops in my local area far enough away from the man in Kidderminster for me not to worry too much about him or hopefully not worry got a decent number of horses and uh, as part of the team does every Saturday sort of dutched some at fixed odds dutched some at a lot dutched a lot at SP now in this race the winner was the knot is tied and there was a big problem uh, Richard Johnson, the jockey. This horse was available at eight to one first thing in the morning. So I took a scrape at seven o'clock in the morning, and he was eight to one, and he went off at eleven to two. And that is a big problem when dutching at SP. You see, you, when you're dutching at SP, you've got to base the only information you've got to base the amount you should be dutching on each horse is the prices at the given time that you're looking at it you can't predict any movement up or down you can only predict based on those prices that are in front of you so if he's eight to one you can only presume he's going to go off at eight to one he might drift to ten he might come down to seven and if he's eight to one on the exchange then you might think he'll go off at seven or, or if he's best price eight to one then the sp might be seven but um he was eight to one at william hill he was actually 11 on the exchange. He was 11 on the exchange at 7 in the morning and went off at 11 to 2. You cannot sort of you cannot ever prepare for the damage that can do when you're dutching to SP when he's 11 in the morning on the exchange and he goes off at 11 to 2. Essentially in the morning you prepare a list uh, an amount that you want to dutch on each horse and it, it, if he goes off at half the amount that you thought that he was in the morning, you're going to be exposed to an amount of exactly half. You you will have wanted to have got twice as much money on him than you have done. Of course, in the last few minutes leading up to the off, you can somehow keep an eye out on steamers and drifters and sort of um sort of repair um as necessary. But it's maybe better to think of it like a long-term game. A long-term game where sometimes steamers will come in and they will win, sometimes drifters will go out and they will they will win. And when they go out and they drift from say 11 to 20, then you're going to have loads of money on that 20 and you're going to make a really good profit. And that's happened a couple of times this year. Whilst betting on steamers has been shown empirically and heuristically to turn a profit on football um the same analysis undertaken albeit 10 years ago in a report that i saw on horses showed that there was no edge to be had why it would be different on horses than football i don't know but this person 
they took all horses, they took they sort of filtered out the steamers and looked at the difference between um or the profit and loss that could be made from betting on these horses and found that there was no there was no edge, there was no benefit. Just simply using steamers as a mode for working out uh, if something is a good bet or not doesn't necessarily apply on horse racing. At least it didn't 10 years ago. We have seen that it does on football. And I don't have any reasonable assertions as to why there would be a difference between the two sports. Uh, I have to say, I've the analyses on football... I've seen done by somebody else and I've independently done myself and um, it's kind of my next project to do this on horses. I haven't independently checked this te- uh, report that I saw that said that there was no particular benefit or edge. But let's just take that. Let's just take that theory just now and run with it because, you know, it's all that we have. We can't start making assumptions without doing any analyses. If there is no benefit to betting on steamers over drifters then let we shouldn't worry there is an argument that says that we shouldn't worry too much when dutching at sp when the steamers all come in and then win the race because that will happen as much as the drifters will win the race what i'm sort of saying if a horse comes from 10 to 6.5 then he's odds of 6.5 to win the race if he goes from 10 to 20 he's still odds of 20 to win the race and yes you'll be overexposed in one scenario and underexposed in another scenario but that will balance itself out over time there is no additional edge to be had out of being a little bit you know more heavily invested on the steamers Regardless, it's human nature to want to balance these things a little bit. And if you've got, you know, some online accounts and some people in shops, then, yeah, you can balance out um, in the 10 minutes, the 15 minutes, get a little bit more money on the horses that are coming in uh, and just forget about the horses that are drifting out. And so, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks in a row, I think, some of these drifters won. Happened to be the races that I wasn't involved with because I was doing other things, but that's by the by. On this one... The knot is tied, 11 on the exchange in the morning, 1 at 11 to 2. Uh, legal history was second, 11 in the exchange in the morning, went off at 9. Tazka, 46 in the morning, went off at 25 to 1. Elise's, um 7.2 on the exchange in the morning, went, um, went off at 9 to 2. Fifth, Groveman, um, in the morning Groveman was 9.6, went off at 15 to 2. And finally, Brandy James, who was 36 in the exchanges in the morning and went off at 22 to 1. All of those horses steam in in all place. Of course, all horses can't steam in in a horse race. The overround is still going to be the same at SP and in the morning and in the evening before. Um, the only thing that changes is some horses drift and some horses steam. And unfortunately, all of those horses that drifted, they didn't win. And it would have been nice if they had. It would have been a nice payday. I mean, Glen Park was 33 to 1 in the morning, went off at 40 to 1. Ghost Surge was 22 to 1 in the morning, went off at 33 to 1. The favourite was 9 to 4 in the morning, went off at a huge 4 to 1. You know, you're adding 50% on top of the price of the favourite, and he's still going to. That horse is going to play, is an odds on favourite to place. So all of those horses, they steamed in and they won or they placed. 
And the rest of those horses, they drifted out, which is good news for us, but they didn't win and they didn't place. And that meant that this race ended up being quite costly. Um, wouldn't have been surprised if you broke even uh, or made a loss in this race. I think somehow we made a small win and that's testament to the amount of value that we can still make a small amount of profit when it literally is the worst case scenario of all of the of all of the steamers winning and all of the drifters losing. Um, that just shows how much value can be extracted from a race that's only meant to be three paces paid and uh, fourth, fifth and sixth is added on on top of that. And then uh, finally, yesterday, uh, it was a Wednesday yesterday, which is an odd day for golf to start. And the reason that the golf started yesterday, the 27th of March, is it is the World Golf Championships at Austin in Texas. This is match play, not, um, not stroke play, which almost all outside of the Ryder Cup, almost all golf that you see is stroke play. But in the WGC, the World Golf Championships, they invite the top 64 in the world to compete against each other. They have 16 groups of four. Um, and those are like leagues. And everyone plays a round-robin uh, style format in those leagues. So you can sort of lose your first game and still finish top of the group. And the 16 golfers that do finish top of the group, they go into a last 16 on Saturday. Then... We play quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. And traditionally, you will get bookmakers paying one to four odds, um, four places. Essentially, that means that there, are, if you get to the semifinals, you're going to make, um, you're going to win your place part of your bet. Two bookmakers, although technically the same one, Betfair Sportsbook and um, Paddy Power, were paying eight places at one to five odds, which means that if you get to the quarterfinals, now you're making. Um, some money out of your place part of your bet now there are no extra places as such to be had when you're looking at a quarterfinal semi-final format and i haven't done the world golf championships before i kind of thought that there would be an edge somewhere but i couldn't figure out where it was i was looking in the wrong place in the morning i was looking at edges in the four balls or sorry the two balls and the match play I actually couldn't find any anywhere not a single one um but I was just looking in the wrong direction. This is one of the reasons, that, and I, I said this to Lee, sort of privately, was I loved what happened next because it was a combination. It's what I wanted from the community of bookie bashing. Somebody posted that um, they thought that there was a there was an EV on a player using the golf EV calculator on the site at Betfair Sportsbook. Now I hadn't done a scrape, but I hadn't realised that at Betfair Sportsbook, because they're paying eight places, the petty hadn't clicked, that that meant that we could use the quarterfinal to reach the quarterfinal market as um, a means of assessing value. So quickly put a scrape together. I wasn't even particularly sure I was going to find anything. But when I did put the scrape together, what we noticed was a significant amount of the outsiders... Uh, we're really good value. And one of the techniques that we have, forget about targeting extra places. Sometimes when there are a significant number of extra pay, places paid, like top 10 instead of top 5, what you can do is you can use the place part of that bet and just lay that. In fact, overlay it. And it pays off a lot of the win part of the bet. 
And by doing that, you can either, well, one of three things, you can get a risk-free shot at the win when we're looking at golf odds. That can be a sizable amount of money with the you know 100 to 1 or 200 to 1. Or a plus EV shot at the win. Or what I prefer to do, just use it as a means for assessing engaging value. Because at the end of the day, you can hedge or you can not hedge. You don't change the value of something by the action of hedging. All you're doing is managing your exposure uh, to variance. That's all you're doing by hedging it. And I'm perfectly happy with the concept of variance and bankroll management. So what I'm using is I'm just using this table as a means for assessing and determining some golfers that are good value to, um, to bet on. And r right off the bat, there were one, two, three, four golfers who, if you wanted to, were actual ARBs, out-and-out, risk-free ARBs, which was great. Great news for risk-free fans. Um, I didn't see anyone else, by the way, looking at this tournament from any of the other sites. So this has just been completely missed. This sort of ability. As I brought up the wrong site, I just wanted to bring up the the results from yesterday. But now, how do you pronounce the the O oh, with the line through it in Scandinavian? The minuscule is it Thubjun? Thubjun Olison um, was one hundred and twenty-five to one at both Paddy and Betfair. Um, and he won his match against 21-seed Webb Simpson yesterday. Now, this is the round robin, so you can still win your first match and not qualify. In fact, it's very common that that happens because uh, you have to finish top of a group of four. But, you know, he's one for one. And he was 125 to one. And if he wins this, he gets to the last 16. He has one game then to play. And if he gets through that, that is the place part of 126 to one um, at 1 to 5 odds, that's 25 to 1, that's that paid out. With the added benefit that you're then on a 126 to 1 shot, or 125 to 1 shot, with only 8 players left in the tournament. Which is fantastic. Um, Ches Reevy, um, uh, who was playing number 1 seed Dustin Johnson, was 250 to 1. He, he didn't win his match unfortunately. But Andrew Putman, who was 300 to 1 and was playing 16 seed Patrick Reed, he did win his first match. Um, so there were three golfers there and two of them two of them won. And they were all out and out arbs if you wanted to arb them. And then some other um, golfers that were really decent value sort of extreme EV um, Bjorn Hun and he didn't win his first round match. Um, Grillo and Justin Harding. Again, Justin Harding um, uh, was one up and beat the inform Matthew Fitzpatrick. Now, you may not have any access to a Betfair sportsbook or Paddy, although Paddy were eight places in shop, which is really decent. But then we thought, well, hold on. If this value exists um, for the the eight places which is kind of obvious because some of those are obs what about the four places which are going to be at one to four odds except at boils who were one to three odds it's been a while since i've seen golfing at one to three odds it used to be a big thing no longer um but would there be any value doing that so we had a scrape of um um of the other bookmakers who the places 
we had to gauge the value based on the reach the semi-final here. We're only going to get place money in the semi-final. And yet again, we had some decent value thrown up. Um, Charles Howell III, Tyrell Hatton, um, Lee Westwood, they were all above 150% um, EV. The top two were above 200% EV. Hideki, Matsuyama, Tiger Woods... Um, Gary Woodland, again, Theobian, Ollison, all above 125% EV. So that was enough to get on quite um, a, number of, a number of golfers for the match play. We only determined that at around about 11 o'clock, but the first tee was 2.20, so that allowed still three hours for people to sort of see it and, if necessary, get out to... Paddy shops or Betfred shops or William Hill shops, Coral or Ladbrook shops, all the shops had these up and they had players available, which is, you know, people may be limited online, but there's no reason why you can't, you know, get into a shop and get a bet on like that. So we got some really, really decent value down um, on the match play. But the thing that made me happy the most, it was like a team effort between, um, I think it was Smarty, the first posted up this um potential edge and then um lee helped shape it and then i was able to go away and put together these scrapes and between the three of us we essentially started with nothing got the ball rolling and came out with these large value tables and that was more to the liking of how the community interacts for me anyway so uh that was really good and uh, now we just need for one of them to come in of course so we will see where we are and uh, next week with that, I am flying to Arizona um, on Saturday with Sasha. Uh, so I'll be following the last day of the match play from America. And um, it's going to be a sort of family party for my dad's 70th birthday at the golf club in Scottsdale, which is run by Phil Mickelson. Um, I was hoping that Phil, maybe, perhaps if he gets uh, knocked out on Friday, he'll be there serving some tacos. There's a reason to cheer against him, isn't there? Um, but because we'll be at this golf course at the um, owned by Mickelson in Arizona, it means it's definitely going to be sort of shown up on the screens there. It's going to be a good place to watch the final day. And um, if I can hit a decent payday on that, then fish tacos are going to be on me that's for sure all right guys that's enough for the first half you are listening to the bash cast and it's brought to you by bookiebashing.net
Welcome back to the Bashcast. That is standing in the middle of the field. I cut copy from the album Haiku from Zero, 2017. In the bookie bashing news, let's return to the story a couple of weeks ago about those advantage players in New Jersey who had come across an edge that allowed them to have a positive expectation when playing online slots. I want to revisit this. There's another story from America, but let's tie that in. Let's not do all the stories about America. Let's tie that in to the search for some edges, some advantage play over in the UK that we've been doing. So it was Jay a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about who had discovered this um, opportunity on a game called Ocean Magic, which involved bubbles. Um, And if you saw a bubble on the bottom left, it sort of acted as a wild. On the next spin, it would move up and right and you would get get an edge, you would get a benefit. That game was made by the manufacturer International Game Technology. I... G-T. Well, Jay has done it again on a different slot called Golden Egypt from the same manufacturer, I-G-T. Once again, the odds were in his favour. Once again, he didn't defy them, but this time the score was just over half a million dollars in two days' play, which is outrageous. So that means in the last six weeks, he's about $1.5 million up. Not bad. Originally, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how um, he was waiting for three withdrawals from um, casinos with, uh, from, for the Ocean Magic Edge that they found. And those were $130,000 from Borgata, $40,000 from Caesars, and unbelievably, a paltry $700 from Hard Rock. Also, there was additional winnings at Caesars because the Ocean Magic slot was removed with one of the players in mid-game where the game was in an advanced state that he had effectively paid for. Um, But the three casinos did release all of the money for payout with the exception of the additional money at Caesars, which Jay says they have let go. Um, Golden Egypt and Ocean Magic are almost synonymous with each other. Anybody that plays in casinos know they have a similar vulture ability. By that, um, we're talking about the ability to identify the games, both of the games, as having an edge when in a particular state. Golden Egypt is a game... With five columns and four rows plus two spots for coins above each column. You can see people on YouTube playing videos of our Golden Egypt. The coin spots above the columns, these are the key to the game being in a favourable state. When both coin spots above a column are filled, then the whole column becomes wild for two spins which obviously greatly enhances the chance of a substantial win. 
Jay noticed that Golden Egypt had a consistent starting game state at online casinos, just like he had noticed with Ocean Magic. And there was one coin each in the second, fourth, and fifth columns. That's helpful, but it's not something you would play in a brick-and-mortar casino. It's not advantageous enough to play it. The Golden Egypt slot machines at land-based casinos are set to about 85 to 87% ROI. However, casinos um, online, they program their slots to have a more generous return. As with all things online, there are lower overheads. So the games are designed to be as profitable as possible while still letting players feel like they have a chance to win. Uh, and casinos can offer, afford more leeway in that regard online. There are only a certain number of slots where the casinos can alter the RTP. There are quite a few that they can't. And when they can't, the difference between playing a slot that pays out 90% RTP and playing a slot that pays out 96 or 97% RTP, well, every time you spin £100, that's £7. And you could easily spend spin a thousand or two thousand or three thousand or some some places want you to spend six thousand um wagering for a hundred pound bonus, say. So it makes all the difference this RTP. With regulated casinos in New Jersey, there's a law, an actual law that they have to publish each game's return percentage, and Golden Egypt was ninety-four point two percent. As he had done with Ocean Magic, Jay contacted his friend with an actuarial background and asked him to run the numbers. Jay says that the threshold for playing this game, for making the investment and taking the risk, would have been about 105%. And that ties in with the value mugs that, you know, a lot of people like to take. I'm a little, I can, I'm more than happy to take thinner ones than that. I won't discuss John Isner's 2-0 victory last night, which was 3.5 to back and 3.46 to lay. The math... Wiz put together an Excel spreadsheet running every different coin configuration and came to the conclusion that Golden Egypt had an expected return of 106.9%. Once we had found that out, Jay says, I called a bunch of my friends, all different people from the ones who played Ocean Magic, and they flew to New Jersey. The all different people point is a key one. Jay says he never played from his own account on either the attempt to crack Ocean Magic or Golden Egypt's, and since the casinos knew what players had beaten them the week before Super Bowl, there was no sense in any of the same um, players attempting to make big deposits again. So an assortment of different players got in on this opportunity. There were 14 of them in all. The game was available at six online casinos, Betfair, Bogarta, Golden Nugget, Hard Rock, Party and MGM. And though you couldn't play it as big as you could play Ocean Magic, so Ocean Magic went as high as $3,000, Golden Egypt is $500 per spin maximum, each player was likely to get more spins on Golden Egypt before he'd gone all the way through the denominations. Including sign-up bonuses, if each player deposited $15,000 on each of the six sites, Jay and his mathematically inclined friend believed the expected value was a win of between $20,000 and $30,000 per person. Multiply that by 14 people and the expectation was $280,000 to $420,000 on $1.26 million invested. One of the players hit a bonus round on the first day of play at the top denomination level, says Jay. The bonus round has odds roughly of hitting 
on one in 600 spins. And what it comes down to is you might hit it at a $1.25 spin, or you might hit it at the $500 spin, or anywhere in between. One of the players hit it at $500, and that bonus round paid out $130,000. So, add that unexpected hit to running on the higher side of expectation on the whole, and as Jay says, with the steely lack of excitement in his voice of a man who's been doing this at high stakes and high risk for almost two decades, the net was a little over half a million. Golden, then gone. Where did the casinos and IGT go wrong? It seems they just didn't consider that the initial state of the game or seed combined with the more player-friendly online win rate could add up to a negative expectation for the house. They seeded the game yet again, however they seeded it in a way that I don't think even they realised was going to be profitable. It didn't take long for the sites to wake up to the reality. The players started spinning on Tuesday. By Wednesday, Hard Rock had yanked Golden Egypt. Other sites pulled the game on Thursday. It's still available at Betfair and Golden Nugget, the latter of which the players had no success on. But according to Jay, with only two sites to play on, the variance makes it not worth continuing. And that's a very interesting point. It's like, so it's one thing having positive expected odds in your favor but you need enough volume to be able to flatten the variance to make it worthwhile so i think jay's just not going to take a stab at you know one site when he can't when he can't have more than that in a surprise twist play sugar house added the game after jay and friends made their score and it is still there at the time of writing so the action ceased on thursday march the 14th two weeks ago today and the players braced for the next challenge, getting paid. Bogata was relatively quick. We had $100,000 from Betfair who were quick. Um, Hard Rock, where the advantage players won the most, proved to be a temporary trouble spot. According to Jay, the players were told their accounts were being investigated. A few days passed, and then the players lodged formal complaints with the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. There's no cliffhanger ending here. As of press time, Hard Rock had released all of the money. When reached out for um, comment, Director of Public Relations and Community Affairs from Hard Rock, Nikki Balls, Balls, Ballas, responded, Nikki Balls responded, those players in question have been paid out and we have no further comment. <laughs> of course they don't. So we went to have a look if... Um, if Golden Egypt was available in the UK, and it is available at Nectan. So if you've got casinos with Nectan, there's Chomp, Kaching, Northern Lights, that group of casinos. There's 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 about forty eight different casinos at at um, Nectan. Sapphire Rooms, M Riches, Seven Jackpots, Tiny Slots. I haven't investigated in full whether the edge exists there, but perhaps if you want to go and do some exploratory work after listening to the Bashcast, I think they also have... It'd be very interesting if they have play money versions available up there, so you can just have a little attempt at play money. We were actually looking elsewhere in the last week. So I had seen a new slot at, um, at least Sky Vegas and... William Hill, Vegas, possibly in other places, but those are the two places that we tried out. 
It is the new slot called the Deal or No Deal Go All The Way slot. And this is like an old school pub fruit machine. You've got five reels of three symbols, five reels of three rows. And there's a trail. The trail goes up to eight and after eight, you're in the money. The first denomination of money is, you know, the same stake that you're spinning back all the way up to 100 times and then big money after that. That's on the right hand side. You're actually, once you're in the money, you're playing a sort of feature where you roll some dice and you go around a board and you can lose lives and gain lives. And there's um, there's a dozen or so feature games on the left that can be played from crazy cash to big reds to bank on it, etc., etc. Which The higher you go up the line, the more the valuable the feature is going to be. Just like an old school pub fruit machine that sits in the middle of the pub where you can... Um, we could hold the reels. We well, can't hold the reels here. But what does happen is you go along the trail. If you get a four, that's a bonus, and that could, you know, boost you up to um, up to five, six, seven, eight, or even into the cash. You could have selector, and, and an old trick in the fruit machines and the pubs used to be you could slow down the selector. So instead of going, which seems random, if you press the button, it would occasionally slow it down so you could actually select when you were in the money so that that was like a, a you know they, they dropped these little cheats that they expected people to know just to make it feel like they've got an, an edge over the machine in actual pops but here the trail will climb and for the next spin it will randomly hold and it will tell you before that spin that it's randomly holding and I was just playing it and I noticed that you could go up to eight and it would randomly hold and I'd be playing 10p a spin and then I thought well I better change the stake denomination then uh, it will cancel the trail being held but I wondered what would happen if I changed the stake denomination high and then low again. So I changed it from 10p up to £2. And the trail remained held. I thought, that's interesting. You know, I've spent money on 10p spins to get here. I've changed it up to £2. I could have gone up to £10. But I wasn't convinced I'd stumbled across anything yet. I thought, I'll have a spin of this and I'll see what happens. Next spin, there were numbers. I went into the cash. I actually hit the feature and I won £200. I thought, is there something going on here that they've missed where I can change, I can like qualify up to a high part of the trail using 10p spins and then as soon as I'm up there, go up to £2, £5, £10 spins. So I tried it again. Next time I was at 8, I moved to, again, £2. I was just still playing a little bit conservative. And then I went into the feature and then I won, from that spin, I won £231. And essentially I'd qualified there at 10p a spin. Now, I don't know as of yet if there is an actual edge. If you think about it, some slots are programmed so that there are the reels are in locked positions. So if you see grapes over grapes over a bell, they're, they're actually fixed. It's like a, a, an actual reel that's spinning round and round. And there are fewer bell symbols than grape symbols so the statistically if it stops in a random position you're much less likely to get three bells or five bells than you are five grapes and that's why it pays more now if those we don't know if that's the way that this works it certainly works like that in a real fruit machine in a pub and also in some online games but if it's truly random where the reels are falling the fact that the trail 
can be held at 10p and at 10 pound you can then move the stake up to 10 pounds means that would mean that there definitely is an edge there there would only not be an edge if it wasn't truly random if the reels weren't fixed if they didn't fall in a random order or if the odds of entering the the money or the feature is exactly the same when you're at eight as it is when you're at one on the trail. That's another potential option. But a few of us got together and started spinning on our own accounts. And it was inconclusive, but then any kind of sort of analysis, you know, we would have needed to have done tens of millions of spins, which of course you can't do. But one thing, between a few of us, we couldn't replicate the success that I had and my balance started dwindling down as well. So I did wonder if I just got lucky. But one common thing that happened is the following day, and this sort of leads me, me to think that, well, I don't know what it leads me to think. I'm slightly confused as to what's going on here. But the following day, having played at both Sky and at William Hill, we got emails from Sky and from William Hill. And you can probably guess that they weren't overly positive. Sky said, important service announcement. We are writing to you with reference to your Sky Vegas account. Following a recent review by our gaming team, we have placed restrictions on your account. You will no longer be able to qualify for promotions and blah, yada, 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 yada. It's a standard email that we all get. And William Hill said, following a recent review of your account, we regret to inform you that you have been removed from eligibility from William Hill online gaming offers and promotions at Vegas, Macau Games, Scratch Cards, Casinos and Live Casino products. So they haven't actually prevented us from applying the strategy of changing stakes um, at a perceived favourable condition. They haven't prevented us from doing that. They've actually just banned us from something completely different, which is receiving casino and gaming bonuses. It's, it's like that, you, you know, you're betting on football and you place one value bet too many and then you get an email saying you're banned from best odds guaranteed on horses. And you're like, but I, okay, but I wasn't betting on horses. I mean, it's still sad news because it's just one less avenue of income. Sometimes these bonuses and offers can be you know, generous, even if not in the current climate, down the line in the future. And so it seems like, it, I don't know why they send these emails so easily. It's like they have keyboards in Skybet and William Hill. And when looking at someone's account, there's just a massive button that says um, gub or restrict. And it's just so tempting to press it. There's a Gary Larson cartoon, someone sitting on an airplane seat and the, there's the button on the sidearm of the seat. And there's like... um. Volume up, volume off, volume down, and then there's wings on and wings off. And the guy's finger is just hovering above wings off because he just because the button exists, they can't help. They can't help themselves but press it. And I think the same thing exists. It's like they're confused by something and the natural reaction and they can't help themselves is to press the restrict button and then move on. So uh, we, we've got promotion restricted on these accounts, but we can still play them. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's an edge there, 
possibly that they've just looked at people bouncing around between 10p spins and 10 pound spins with no clue of what they're doing possibly they are aware that there is an edge there and the easier thing to do than withdraw the slot is just to ban people from promotions which you know doesn't serve any purpose for them whatsoever but both with that deal or no deal slot and whether there is any edge in the starting position, the seed of the Golden Egypt slot at Nectan, both of those projects are a work in progress and uh, perhaps come back to them in a future bashcast. Okay, we had an email. Um, tax fans, you can get excited now, and if you're not a tax fan, you can uh, switch off. So, now my dad has just turned the volume up. The email asks... Um, I'm a fairly seasoned advantage player, although I'm not a member of bookiebashing.net. Hey, fair enough. You're making money. You're happy. I would advise coming and joining, though, and having to look around. Don't be negative. Despite that, I thought I'd drop you a message to say that you're doing a terrific job. The podcast is brilliant. Thanks very much. I learned a lot from it in my former... In my formative match betting advantage playing days and have for the last couple of years turned over more profit in horse racing than I do in my day job. Anyway, my question is really about declaring income from gambling. Have you or anyone you know ever been, let's say, noticed by inland revenue? It has not been a problem for me up until this point. And I know that all profits from gambling is tax-free in the UK, but do you know if the inland revenue has ever requested someone to prove the income is from gambling? So very, very... um, um, what's the word? Lucky. We benefit from, you know, very player-friendly tax rules in in this country. In fact, when I'm playing poker abroad, when I'm in America, one of the sad things if you win, you know, a t- poker tournament in America is you're going to give up half of your winnings to the tax man. It almost makes, you know, it removes any edge any professional poker player might have. If you look at Scandinavian poker players, it's even higher in Scandinavia, which is why, you know, for a lot of um, final tableists for the November 9 in the main um, event of the World Series of Poker, the final table took place three months after they got down to the last nine players. You'll see that a lot of Scandinavians all of a sudden reside in London because they've sort of moved their taxable affairs over to the UK so that if they have a big cash in the main event, they're not going to have to give away over half of it, like 70, 80% of it in Denmark. Um, so I, when I cash in, in Las Vegas in the Rio Hotel, one thing that you're aware of is you go up to the desk and there is what is known as the UK-US gambling treaty which essentially states that no tax is owed and so they pay out the whole amount whereas if you're not from the uk they uh they withhold an amount of money for taxation purposes so you are the envy of players of from other countries there are not very many where the entire payout is yours to keep and yours to keep alone and that is because the taxation of gambling winnings is specifically excluded from being a trade, as otherwise losing punters would be able to claim tax relief, and that certainly wouldn't help the government coffers. 
the HMRC Internal Manual, BIM 22017, one of my preferred HMRC internal manuals, states that the fact that a taxpayer has a system by which they place their bets or that they are sufficiently successful to earn a living by gambling does not make their activities a trade. And you can go and have a look on this on the government website. The case of Graham versus Green, this is from 1925, concerned a man whose sole means of livelihood came from betting on horses at starting prices. Tell that to the uh, area manager in Kidderminster. Rollett J says at pages 313 and 314, now we come to betting, pure and simple. The man who bets with the bookmaker, and that is this case. These are mere bets. Each time he puts on his own money, at whatever may be the starting price. I do not think he could be said to organise his effort in the same way as a bookmaker organises his. I do not think the subject matter, from his point of view, is susceptible of it. In effect, all he is doing is just what a man does, who is a skilful card player at cards, who plays every day. He plays today and he plays tomorrow and he plays the next day and he is skillful in each of those three days. More skillful on the whole than the people with whom he plays and he wins. But I do not think that you can find in his case any conception arising in which his individual operations can be said to be merged in the way that particular operations are merged on the conception of a trade. I think all you can say of that man is that he is addicted to betting. It is extremely difficult to express, but it seems to me that people would say he is addicted to betting and could not say that his vocation is betting. The subject is involved in great difficulty of language, which I think represents great difficulty of thought. There is no tax on a habit. I do not think habitual or even systemic fully describes what is essential in the phrase trade, adventure, profession or vocation. This shows that having expertise or being systematic, i.e. studying form, is not enough to create a trait of being a professional gambler. Some professional gamblers do carry on a trade. For example, where they receive appearance money for being on television programs, they are providing a service to a customer, the television production company, for reward. Whether their gambling winnings or proceeds of that trade would depend upon the facts. What's coming up this weekend? Uh, as mentioned previously, Sasha and I are boarding a flight from Heathrow on Saturday morning to go and celebrate my dad's 70th birthday in Arizona. We'll be away from Saturday morning all the way through to Wednesday evening next week. It's only a short break uh, we're having in America. That means that I'm going to have time to get the 7th Heaven... Well, I've done the 7th Heaven coupon today. I'm going to do the Pushers coupon and any other coupon that comes up tomorrow. And any value that appears for the weekend ahead of Friday night, I will, of course, get onto the site. Come Saturday, I'll need people's help. The primary places to look on Saturday... A Red Zone Sports Coral, Sky, William Hill. Betway, Sport Pizza, Ladbrokes, Bet Victor, and Bet Save. There are other bookmakers out there that have value, but those are the priority 10 
that are most likely to have new boosts on Saturdays that are of sufficient value that they would appear as positive expectation and be held. Duncan, of course, is going to populate as much as he can. But if you see anything, please throw it on there. If you'd like to share it, you don't have to. But, you know, community is better as a whole. And it might be a little bit quieter around the forums and on the boost tracker, but this is a long-term game, isn't it? You know, So don't worry too much if it's quieter. I'll be back. On the weekend, we've got some, um, well, a full premiership schedule. On Sunday, Cardiff, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs is the evening game. Liverpool, 1.65 favourites for that because Spurs are out of form. Arsenal played Newcastle on Monday night and at 9.8 to back against Arsenal's form, despite being a Toon fan and massively biased, I fancy the Toon there. And then through the middle of next week, we've got another round of Premiership catch-up games for those teams that have been involved in FA Cups and are just uh, a game or so behind in the Premiership. So Wolves-Manchester United should be a good game, actually, on Tuesday. Man United aren't even are over-evens for that game. Um, and then three small favourites on Wednesday. I prophesize Chelsea, Man City and Tottenham are going to appear in all of the trebles um, next Wednesday. They're all very short. Chelsea are 1.24. Man City are 1.11. And Spurs are 1. Oh. Uh, massively gappy. Spurs have traded at 1.58. I think that's uh, still odds-on for the treble, isn't it? Just plugging it into a calculator, excuse me. Classic podcastiness. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at 2.27 for the treble there just now. And so there's going to be a load of people. They like boosting the favourites, especially when they're short odds. There's going to be a load. As soon as anything crops out, as long as nothing drifts around about the... I would, I would think... We'd be starting at about 2.4. We'd be starting the value train at about 2.4 for Chelsea, Manchester City and Tottenham. And 6-4 to four and higher is just going to be crazy value next um, Wednesday. The only reason I mention that is that I think there's going to be some commonality around the bookmakers. And you're, you're going to see that boosted in more than one place. And so does that mean that there's going to be a little bit of competition? We will see. In terms of the WGC Dell match play, well, we've got the standard Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood at the top of the market. Looking a little bit further down, Tiger is in 28-1. to 1. From a high of 45 on the exchange. I mean, they've only won one match. You can win one match and uh, go out very easily, very easily. You can even lose the first match and go through, so it's not the end of the world. Um, and Lee Westwood lost his first match. He, uh, he is languishing out in... It would be fun if Lee Westwood won it at the 420 he is to back on the exchange just now. Never say never. It would be good to see Lee Westwood run it as well. Also on this weekend, March Madness from the NCAA, Division One Men's Basketball. Um, this is a single elimination tournament in the United States of America. A lot of money is waged on this. 
The American Gaming Association's latest survey projected that $8.5 billion would be wagered by Americans on college basketball, which just seems insane. Um, A professional better called Alan Boston used to provide tips on the old 2 plus 2 poker cast with um, Terence Chan and Adam Schwartz. And for 10 years in a row... He, um, his lock of the week in American terminology, his lock of the week won. And I made a lot of money out of it. Um, the, the two plus two poker past is no more, but Terrence Chan and Adam Schwartz now do Dat D-A-T poker podcast um, with Daniel Negrano. And so hopefully it might be worth listening out to see if Alan Boston is invited on there to give his tips. And if they are, they're definitely worth a value bet. Heading up the market is um, Duke and Gonzaga and Virginia, who are the three teams most likely to win at 4.2, 5.3 and 5.6 on Betfair Exchange. And the two triple out figure outsiders are LSU and Oregon Ducks. Some of those are playing tonight, though, so it might be a quick turnaround between getting um, listening to the Bashcast and getting money on online. But there's definitely edges and value to be had. And a lot of swings and a lot of steams and a lot of drifts as well in betting on March Madness and the NCAA College Basketball. And um, we do expect, and um, we never know what which horse race it's going to be until 7pm on the Friday night, but of course we do expect another big Saturday race. Whichever one it is, I'll stick it up on Friday night before I leave, but unfortunately won't be around to populate uh, the tracker throughout Saturday morning. Um, soon, sooner rather than later, these golf trackers and these horse trackers are going to be automated and up on the site. Um, and that's just going to be an additional string to our bows. Everything in this world is magic, except for the magician. Whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is big. This is